Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. Hey guys, Mike here on behalf of our podcast partner, Vivid Seats. That's right. Hokie Hangover Podcast is partnering with Vivid Seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Hanging to a game at Lane Stadium this fall, need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to vividseats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. Hokey Hangover, Virginia Tech 30, Wake Forest 13. Ricky LeBlue, this is our second victory pod in the last three weeks. Hell yeah, baby. It's almost like there's a little bit of momentum. I forgot what that felt like. Feels like this. Uh, Two (laughs) wins in three weeks, and the one loss was against the number four team in the country on the road. So where, you know, as we talked about, Tech did a few good things. So that's that's good. This is encouraging. We're we're on a decent track here. No Andrew tonight, at least not for now. He said he may may jump in. He is in the middle of moving, so that's what's going on with him. We were planning to record Sunday night, but then other stuff happened. Couldn't record anymore. So here we are recording on Monday night, October sixteenth. Hokies with a nice tidy seventeen point win that probably could have been by more. 
before we dive into all the intricacies of this game, if you are new to the podcast, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe, especially if you're on Apple or Spotify. It's really important. really helps us out. We're seeing the numbers. We know we have a lot of new listeners this season. It's become a bit at the end of the podcast where we just, you know, Rick jumps in, tells you rate, review, subscribe, but we're serious. Like, yeah, please, please do that. I uh, just wanted to hit that off the top, Ricky. Yeah, now, it has always been like a bit for us where well, like we, we save it to the end and then it just gets rate, review, subscribe. So write it in the end yeah. as quickly as possible. Well, we throw it in there and that used to be something I would say at the very end, right? Because Andrew would be like, all right, guys, any last thoughts? And I would just say that and then... Ricky jumped in and started doing that and it became a bit, but we're dead serious. Please rate, review, and subscribe, especially if you're on Apple or Spotify. Let us know how we're doing. Yeah, and uh, really thankful to have Dwight on last week. And if you haven't heard that episode, I encourage you to because it was much more than a week preview. So I think that podcast will have a bit of life to it and will remain relevant for the remainder of the year and not just for one week like some of the preview podcasts are. So Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, if, you, if you haven't listened to it yet and you think that it might be dated or something like that, you're not going to get anything out of it you know, by listening this week. Uh, I still highly encourage you to listen to it because there's a lot of stuff in there that you know applied to the program, whether the Hokies won or lost this game against Wake Forest. So uh, yeah, really thankful to have Dwight on. He was great. But let's get into this game, Ricky. Virginia Tech 30, Wake Forest 13. Uh, this was a <laughs> probably the most complete performance we've seen. I mean, we saw it against Pittsburgh, right? I think coming into this game, we thought Wake Forest was a better version of Pittsburgh. I'm not sure if that is or isn't the case, but the one thing I will say is that I thought Virginia Tech's defense, the defensive line and the linebacking core specifically, this is the best game those two units played all year, in my opinion. Real dominant up front, really gave Wake Forest a ton of a ton of issues running the football in this game. Wake Forest was shuffling quarterbacks in and out of the lineup, couldn't get anything going consistently offensively the entire game. Just a real tidy performance by Virginia Tech's defensive line and linebacking core. It was pretty encouraging to see. Is Virginia Tech going to force a second quarterback to switch to tight end? <laughs> the, the people are wondering. <laughs> Some people have been people, asking. People are asking. Uh, but no, like this is – I was actually quite shocked um, that Wake Forest's offense looked as disjointed as it did. Yeah. And it's important to recognize both sides of that. So – let, let's start with the good stuff, right? Virginia Tech generated a ton of pressure on the quarterback in this game. Antoine Powell Ryland had four sacks by himself. The team had seven overall. Jordan McDonald had his best performance in a maroon and orange uniform. Uh, even when they weren't getting home, uh, they were causing all sorts of pressure. And Wake Forest, no matter who was playing quarterback in this game, Wake did not have any real mobility at the position. Uh, Mitch Griffiths is not a mobile guy. His replacement, Michael Kern, has less arm strength and looked basically the same. They both kind of look like statues back there. 
And Virginia Tech just kind of teed off on him. Wake couldn't run the ball, which was a huge, huge factor in this game. Justice Ellison never got going. Um, was it 19 total rushing yards for Wake Forest? Um, if you include the sacks, even if you don't, Wake Forest probably averaged like two yards a carry in this game. I haven't done the math, but Wake did not run the ball well at all. And it put them in a lot of third, medium, third, long situations. And Virginia Tech was able to take full advantage. 1.1 yards per carry for Wake Forest. Yeah. So uh, credit to a Virginia Tech defense that has struggled essentially all season against the run, except for the Pittsburgh game. Virginia Tech was able to prevent those big plays, which have broken them before in this season. And uh, they were looked like the linebacker play was much more uh, technical, technically sound. And the back end, um, while they did allow quite a few receptions in this game, a lot of them were short and they were able to keep a lid on Wake Forest DB or excuse me, Wake Forest receivers. So, Really impressive defense performance uh, in this game. Very, very excited about uh, Antoine Powell-Ryland and what he can do. He's currently on pace, I think, to be the first player with double-digit sacks since whatever year it was Kenny Canham did it last, like 2014, yeah. 14, 2015. 14, yeah. Um, so he is a real difference maker. And if you can get any sort of pressure opposite him, on the defensive front, it makes a huge deal. And Brent Pry talked about after the game that they do like to run a lot of edge pressures and they like to bring those linebackers off the edge. Keontae Jenkins had a monster game in this one. Um, him and APR were easily the two best players on defense. And that uh, isn't to, you know, kind of downplay what Jordan McDonald did in this game. Cause it was, like I said, his best performance in a tech uniform, but, all in all, really solid on the defensive end. You you can you can kind of nitpick the secondary if you want. We were talking about that a little bit over the weekend, um, especially with Mansour Delane. But all in all, as a as a unit, this was a really really solid performance on defense. You take Virginia Tech seven sacks out of it. Wake Forest still averages two point five five yards per play running the football. So I mean, just real dominant up front. Period. Yeah. Right. Defensive line, linebacking core, really freaking good here. Now, the flip side of that, right? I said we would talk about the good side of that argument first. Mm -hmm. Wake is down bad, boys. They're bad, buddy. Wake, They're bad. Th this is, we, we were just talking about this before we pressed record. This is the worst Wake Forest team I can remember under Dave Clawson. Yeah, at least it's they, his first couple of years there. They I mean, have, this is bad. They have no explosiveness on the outside. The offensive line was manhandled by what has been, let's call it what it is, an average front this year uh, at best. Their quarterbacks do not possess any particular high level of talent, right? They don't have any mobility. Their arm talent doesn't really wow you, especially Michael Kern, who came in for Mitch Griffiths and threw up quite a few ducks in this and game. Looked, and, and looked better than Griffiths. Yeah. So um, that that tells you everything you were, need to know here. Yeah, there were there were several passes underthrown by Michael Kern in this game that just made you feel like he I'm not sure if he's a a power 5 level player to be quite honest. I'm not sure what if maybe it was, it was a rough day for him but the arm talent doesn't, doesn't look like it's there. So 
we're kind of left asking the same questions that we were asking about the offense after the pit game, which was, hey, this is a really good performance. A guy should be really, really happy about it. But how will it translate to when they play some tougher competition? And I'll be quite honest with you, Mike. I thought that this would be a little bit tougher competition. Yeah. Can but I raise my hand? I have a go question. Go ahead. Jump in. Outside of Louisville, who, by the way, just lost a bit. <laughs> did not look particularly good against Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, hand hand up here. Where's the tougher competition? Like, yeah, there are a bunch of, po- of opponents left on Virginia Tech's schedule, and all of them have a ton of question marks. The second best team left on the schedule might be Boston College. That's right. Because because NC State's got some serious issues on offense. I was going to say, that's right. Not NC State. Um, Boston College. Now, now NC State's defense, to their credit, I think is still Good. playing relatively well. Yeah. But their offense is is an absolute jumbled mess. Yeah. Duke's backup quarterback this weekend uh, against NC State completed four passes for like 115 yards. <laughs> Like and that that doesn't sound good. Doesn't bode well, right? For NC State's defense, that we were just t- talking so highly of. But I will say, like, NC State's defense is playing with an arm tied behind its back because yeah. NC State's offense right now is a nightmare. Yes, yes, they are. So you you bring up a very relevant question. Yeah, I mean, who who left on the roster? Who left on the schedule outside of Louisville? poses a much more significant threat than what Virginia Tech just saw this weekend. Yeah. And I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure any of them do. Yeah. Boston Which... College has talent issues. They almost lost the Holy Cross earlier this year. Mm-hmm. We know how bad Virginia is. Um NC State again, serious issues on Syracuse offense. Syracuse real Syracuse banged up coming right now. up in a week and a half banged up not playing I mean they, they just went through admittedly a, a real tough stretch in their schedule right yeah uh, we're not gonna dismiss but, that but they're I mean, banged we, up we were pretty critical of at least I know I was of Virginia Tech losing by what was it 22 to Florida State mm-hmm. Syracuse lost by what 33 yeah I think it, the final was 41 to 3 I think 38 Okay, so bad. They lost by 30, 30 plus, right? Yeah, so bad. So you start to look up and down, and you're like, yeah, where, given how teams are playing right now, where on the schedule are you going to find a much more significant challenge than what Wake gave Virginia Tech on Saturday? And that's not to say Virginia Tech's going to win out. They're not, right? Like, this is still a flawed team. They're still learning how to win. But it does seem to bode well for the future that Virginia Tech has a chance to pick up at least a couple more wins on this schedule uh, in terms of what's left. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying Virginia Tech's going to a bowl game, but I'm also, like, not not saying it. <laughs> like, it's on the table. And it says just as much about Virginia Tech's opponents as it does about Virginia Tech, right? I think the Hokies are are trending in a really good direction. I think they're playing yeah. their best football of the year. I think this version of Virginia Tech that we saw on Saturday can win three of the remaining five games on the schedule. I really do believe that, especially when you consider, you know, you're getting two of these teams at home, right? You, you get NC State and Syracuse at home. 
two of the three toughest teams remaining on the schedule, potentially, right? We can talk about the NC State Boston College toss up. But bottom line is like NC State and Syracuse, you get them at home. You have to go to Chestnut Hill, right? Weird place to go play for sure. Louisville is a better team, right? Louisville kicked the piss out of Notre Dame like a week ago. So let's not pretend like that event didn't happen. I mean, they looked really good. Notre Dame beat the brakes off USC, which kind of lends more credence to the fact that maybe Notre Dame just went through a really, really brutally tough stretch of their schedule, a bunch of road games in a row. That's kind of what happens. Um, But, and then UVA at the end of the year, right? Like Virginia Tech is going to be favored in that game in Charlottesville. This is, Virginia Tech can absolutely make a bowl game if this version of the Hokies shows up the rest of the way. I really do believe that. And this is coming a long way from a few weeks ago when coming off of the Marshall loss, we were sitting here saying, is Virginia Tech going to win three games this year? You know, (laughs) is this going to be two and 10? Like, is this going to be one and 11? Uh, We're going to talk about the offense in a second. And there is one major reason why Virginia Tech is making a a gigantic improvement, right? (laughs) Offensively, especially. We're going to talk about him in a second. But I hope we're talking about Benji Gosnell. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Gosnell, brothers. I mean, we, we can talk about it. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll explain in a minute why I mentioned him. Yeah, why you mentioned that. Uh, Wake Forest. So I want to bring up an advanced stat here, right? So ex- expected points added is basically a metric, an advanced metric out there that basically measures how many points a play is adding on a down-by-down basis in a game, right? Uh, obviously, if you're going in a positive direction, that's a good thing, right? If you're going in a negative direction, obviously a very bad thing. Self-explanatory, right? Uh, Wake Forest averaged negative 26.21 expected points added in this game and couldn't even get back to zero. Negative uh, 0.39 expected points added per play here in this game. What that means is that Wake Forest offense was some ass. We, we're trying to tell you that, right? <laughs> The the standard metrics tell you that. The advanced metrics tell you that. The only reason I bring that up is because it's just further credence to the fact that Wake Forest was really, really bad offensively on Saturday. You have to give Virginia Tech a lot of credit. And also the fact that Wake Forest is a they're they're out in an abyss offensively. They have no idea what they're doing. Can't run the ball right now. They really miss Donovan Green in the passing game. He got hurt in the preseason towards ACL. Obviously yeah. really miss him. Uh, Jamal Banks is a nice receiver, but he's only one guy. And Virginia Tech did a pretty good job slowing him down here. Virginia and Taylor Tech, Morin is not breaking the breaking the top off of anybody. Possession I mean, receiver. I mean get, you know, give him give him his flowers. Right. Seven catches for one hundred two. Right, but he's not he's not like a game breaker on on offense. Right, right. So, I mean, this is a situation here where Wake Forest was just a little bit overwhelmed by the Virginia Tech defense. Uh, Look at this. I mean, Virginia Tech, the Hokies give up six offensive points in this game. Uh, The Hokies, I think, arguably had their worst special teams day of the season. (laughs) Do you want to talk about some bad here? And that that includes the fake punt. (laughs) And that includes the fake punt to continue a possession, which was a brilliant call. Because we were texting about this, Rick, you were in the press box. We were texting back and forth, and we were both just kind of like, "Man, the Hokies are really letting Wake Forest hang around." And then, oh, fake punt. We're like, "Oh, that was pretty. That was a pretty nifty call." Brent Price yeah. said after the game that he kind of had to be talked into that. But mm-hmm. what a pushover Brent Price, huh? 
He's like, yeah. I feel like a lot of head coaches, especially defensive minded coaches, probably have to be talked into going for it in those like special teams trick play situations. Especially around midfield when in a game that Virginia Tech's defense was dominating, Brent Pry's probably thinking, you know what? Do we really need to do this? But what we've seen out of Virginia Tech all season, I'm sure it was in the back of Brent Pry's mind, is we're one blown assignment away, right? From this being a tight game. Uh I, I was kind of expecting that, to be honest with you. Uh, not to say I don't have a ton of trust in the Virginia Tech defense. I, why would you? But I mean, why would I mean, seriously, they've yeah. they have not shown the ability outside of two games this year to not get gashed for those 50, 60, 70 yard plays. Yeah. And it was an absolute backbreaker against Florida State. I mean, if they're able to to hold those to just kind of normal big gains, like a 20-yarder or a 25-yarder, who knows how that Florida State game looks at the end. Right. That may not be a 22-point loss. Right. So they haven't really shown the ability to do that all season. But two out of the last three weeks, the defense has has looked sharp, especially in the front seven, and it makes a huge difference. And you combine that with – um getting Nasir Peoples back on defense, which I think makes a tremendous difference mm-hmm. in getting their secondary lined up. And Antoine Powell-Ryland staying healthy and continuing to wreak havoc off the edge. And then he gets, you know, one or two guys on the other side, giving him some help. All of a sudden, you've got a defense that can play really competent football. I mean, pitting their ears back in after the quarterback, having some health on the back end. Uh, this has been a unit that struggled this year anyway. Linebacking core hasn't been great all year. You couple the injuries with that, and it's been tough. But, you know, getting people's back was huge. The linebacking core having their best game of the year was huge. And Antoine Powell Ryland being able to do what he's kind of been doing all year. Obviously, he has not been, you know, averaging four sacks per game, right? He's not the best defensive end in college football, but he's been solid all year, right? And and this was his best game in a Virginia Tech uniform on Saturday. Yeah, real happy with the defense. Hard not to be. Uh, let's see if, you know, Tech can carry this over. It's tough to say the bye week comes at a bad time, but I think the bye week kind of comes at a bad time. <laughs> Virginia Tech's really rolling right now. Uh, they are getting healthy, right, in the middle of the season here, and kind of tough to now take a week and a half off but you know it could work out the other way too where you know you come out of the bye week rested refreshed uh still carrying some momentum it could obviously work that way as well but let's yeah, talk it's about not like the baseball playoffs where you <laughs> you get a bye and then all of a sudden you get swept wow that's oddly specific um <laughs> it's not as specific as you'd think right it happened to several teams unfortunately yeah Unfortunately, my team was one of them. <laughs> yeah, your team was one of several hundred win teams that, that happened to. Uh, let's talk about the Virginia Tech offense here. Uh, Hokies obviously score 30 points. There's a lot of good. There's also some not so good that we're going to talk about too. Virginia Tech ran 65 offensive plays, 463 total yards of offense, averaged over seven yards per play. Kyron Drones was uh, a wagon. <laughs> 20 of 29. You love that damn phrase, Mike. 20 of 29 for 321 yards and two touchdowns. Average. He also uh, added 59 yards on the ground here for a Virginia Tech rushing game that struggled most of the day. 
uh, drones picked up some meaningful first downs when he needed to. Uh, he was the catalyst offensively. We were kind of discussing whether or not this was his best game. I think it was, even though the statistics may have looked better against Pittsburgh, uh, at least from a rushing and passing like balance standpoint. I thought this was Drones' best game. I thought it was the most comfortable he's looked throwing the football. I think it's the most comfortable he's been with Tyler Bowen's system. It's pretty clear that from his first start against Rutgers to now, he's been a totally different quarterback. Uh, he's getting more experience. He's getting more confident. He's been more poised. Uh, he continues to not turn the football over through the air, which is significant. Uh, that's been a trend in a really good direction. I am all in, Ricky. I tweeted this. I am all in on Kyron Drones. He is the guy, Rick. He's the guy you build around. Uh, he's got the goods. He's got the potential. He's getting better week over week. He's taking care of the football. I am all aboard the Kyron Drones train. Yes, you are. And um, earlier this year, I might have been after the Marshall game. Rutgers or Marshall. It, it was Rutgers or Marshall. It was early. I had put out there that I'm pretty confident that Drones isn't the guy. And I'm not going to – I would like to amend that statement. I'm not going to go as far as you did and say that he is. But I'm no longer going to say that he isn't. Uh, he very well may be. We've seen some serious progressions from Kyron over the last couple games. The point about him feeling comfortable in the offense really rings true to me. It looks like he's hitting his checkdowns a lot more frequently and throwing into coverage less often than we saw earlier on. This was a huge complaint that we had about Grant Wells, yep. where it seemed like he would consistently put balls into harm's way. Uh, getting a guy like Basial Tootin, the Brock, uh, out of the backfield is awesome. Basial Tootin had four catches again in this game. He's finding guys like Steven Gosnell, who seems to be really good at finding holes in the defensive zone and sitting down and making those possession catches and was the, the uh, leading receiver in terms of receptions in this game. Uh, you add that, that comfortability plus um, him getting the ball to some guys like Jalen Lane for some of those bigger plays. And all of a sudden, you feel pretty good about Jerome's ability to lead the the offense. Now, it, it's two games, right? He didn't look particularly great against Florida State. He didn't look bad against Florida State. So we're going to have to continue to see how this game or continue to have to see how the season goes. But it's certainly uh, important to acknowledge the growth that we've seen from Jerome's over the last three weeks and. Even though Virginia Tech still isn't running the football very well, if you've got a quarterback that's able to manage the offense like this, and like you mentioned, Mike, do not turn the football over. Yep. You can keep yourself in some ball games. Drones adds just enough with his legs, and I know running is an important part of what he does. He's a better passer. He seems like he's improving his passer. He's a better passer than he probably got credit for, right, coming into the year where, you know, coaching staff said, you know, they feel, felt like they had, uh, you know, two good quarterback options, right? They felt like they had Wells with his arm, and they felt like they had Drones with his legs, and certainly... Well, he, he, he looks far more comfortable uh, in making those decisions and not... um 
not freezing up in the pocket. I mean, I, that was yeah. kind of an issue that I thought I saw early on where he looked unsure of his reads. And we saw that all, all the time with Grant Wells, right? Like that was a, a persistent issue. But at least against Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, he's looked far more confident in his ability uh, to see the field, um, believe in what he's seeing, right? Not second-guessing himself, not seeing ghosts. And he's out there making uh, assertive throws. You know, he's not um, he's not late with his throws. They're on time. He's been pretty accurate. And it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I, it's sometimes just experience is the best teacher, right? And he's gone up against, you know, some mediocre defenses, right? But then when you kind of see how he played against Florida State, like his stat line wouldn't blow you away. We kind of talked about this on that recap, though. He played with a confidence in that game, right? Even if Virginia Tech was outmanned, outgunned, you know, Tech's down a few scores and Drones got outside the pocket on one play, kind of sprinted out to his left. And he ran a Florida State defender over on the sideline, got up and immediately started talking a bunch of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's you got to have a little bit of swagger to you, right? A little bit of confidence building, that's, especially if you're like a, a mobile quarterback that's going to have to get physical, right? And get yeah. some hits. That was a pretty good sign to me in a game where Virginia Tech lost by multiple scores against a team that was far superior he comes out in this game and from the jump look comfortable. Obviously Wake Forest defense is certainly not what Florida States is. Came out, look comfortable, look confident from the jump. Virginia Tech didn't always have the most offensive success consistently here, right? Look at the middle of the game. Look at third quarter, especially a lot of decent drives that got stalled out. Um, there was a missed field goal. There was a fumble. Uh, the base shell toot and fumble, by the way, uh, that might have been illegal touching on the Wake Forest defender. I tweeted this out about like, I didn't think that was base shell Tootin's best decision. <laughs> like he had a couple options there. Well, Mike, unfortunately, you see, uh, we hit our limit on instant oh, replay geez. reviews. Thanks for reminding me. So so we weren't able to uh, we weren't able to review that. one. Can we talk? Can we talk about this for a second? I don't mean to like totally get us off track, but. The reviews were incessant, would be putting it nicely. I think that was part of the reason why Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech's performance, especially in the first half, felt kind of sloppy because they never got into a rhythm. And, and part of that was the issues that they had, and we'll get into that in a moment. But part of it was we were constantly stopping play oh to review God. spots. I mean, they, they reviewed at least four or five spots in this game. And I'm not a referee, right? Like, I'm not an umpire. I'm not a field judge or whatever. But I feel like the reason you have several referees on the field at once is so you can see where the damn ball needs to be spotted. Right. And they consistently could not get their spot right. And they were always having to go back and review it. And it was ridiculous. It was extremely annoying. I mean, I, yes. Yes, it I, was. I was watching on TV. Uh, the ACC network crew, they may have, they just may as well have been broadcasting this from Bristol. It sounded like they were 300 <laughs> yards away from the microphone the entire game. Mark Herzlick's <laughs> mic was like three times the volume of Chris Cotter's. Uh, 
it it's just really felt like they were doing this game out of a truck or something. <laughs> I know they were on site because Ricky saw them in the flesh and yeah. <laughs> like they obviously showed them on the telecast like inside Lane Stadium. But it felt like one of those COVID broadcasts where like the broadcast crew was calling the game from their house. We saw that a lot oh, of baseball God, in that particular. Was... That was an era I never wished to revisit. Yeah, it felt like we were revisiting that on Saturday, unfortunately. So the, the production the production value of this broadcast on ACC Network was probably the worst it's been all year. Anyway, it's almost like you would rather be on the CW. <laughs> speaking of sideways broadcasts, CW look, football games. Look, I don't know what the guy's name is on the CW, the play-by-play guy, but he, he's at least got some emotion. Like yeah, that that six overtime game with Carolina back in what was it nineteen? Yeah, um, he called a hell of a an overtime period. Yeah, yeah. Listen back to the audio of that. It's pretty electric. It is very electric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris Cotter. My only complaint about Chris Cotter, and I don't. By the way, I don't. Chris Cotter's called games before, and I've been told like he calls a lot of college basketball. I'm usually like totally fine with Chris Cotter. I don't know what it was on Saturday, but like <laughs> the Jalen Lane, like 75 yard touchdown on the slant, beautifully thrown ball by Kyron Drones, by the way. And obviously great play by Lane to separate after the fact. But Lane was like 30 yards up the sideline before Cotter was like, oh, he might go. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, man, he might. Like the nearest defender is 35 yards behind him. You're right. He might score. <laughs> What are we doing here? It was brutal. Anybody who watched the game on TV, I'm sure, can relate to this. I was just very frustrated. Uh, Probably because he was disappointed in the uh, perpetually subpar Lane Stadium catering for the media. Ricky saw Chris <laughs> Cotter at the halftime buffet. He shot me a text and said, Chris Cotter is uh, at catering. I was like, yeah, Chris Cotter's in catering. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Chris Cotter should be adjusting his mic volume. I know that's not on him. But it's on somebody somebody who's working. Yeah, that's not his that thing job. Out. But it is his job to uh, to know if Jalen Lane might score if the nearest defender is. Yeah, that is his job. <laughs> the nearest defender is approximately several miles behind him. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's, let's talk about the uh, pro football focus grades for the offense. Right, because yeah, uh, before we hit record, and you kind of hinted at this a couple of minutes ago, I talked about I was talking about Kyron Drones is who I was referring to, obviously, and Ricky made a Benji Gosnell joke, and you're about to hear why. If you had told me that the highest graded player per pro football focus in this game was not Kyron Drones on offense, I'd have slapped you in the face, and it's a good thing be- that you weren't here because Benji Gosnell. 91.8 in this game with his one catch for 20 yards. Just stellar performance per per the computer. Held up in pass pro, baby. <laughs> he held up in pass pro. Actually, actually, no, like it, his lowest score was in pass pro. <laughs> he scored a 92.8 in, in the passing attack with his one catch and then a 65.1 in pass block and a 67.9 in run block slightly higher in run blocking yes which, uh... but this is a this is the kind of performance that puts you in the Virginia Tech Hall of Fame Mike getting a 91.8 in the pro football focus score um just an absolutely ma- absolute masterclass 
from Benji Gosnell in this game. He was certainly the second best Gosnell on the field. <laughs> well, I, that <laughs> I agree with. And not to be totally facetious, right? But the one catch he had, significant. Yes. Like, yes. Big catch. Uh, put Virginia Tech deep in Wake Forest territory. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Significant catch there. Steven Gosnell. If we're going to be speaking about the Gosnell twins here, or not twins, brothers, I, I would like to speak about Stephen Gosnell at length here. Uh, run blocking, eye test. I don't know what the pro football focus says. Eye test, run blocking was excellent. And then how he was able to get open against the Wake Forest zone defense, you mentioned this. He was the constant safety blanket for Kyron Drones in this game. And if he can continue that trend, because it's been clear, Drones has been trying to throw Gosnell the ball a bunch, right? Stephen Gosnell. He tried to hit uh, Gosnell on a deep pass in the Florida State game where, quite honestly, I thought Gosnell should have caught it. Uh, That would have been a big play in that game. Uh, He has been peppering him with targets. And this was obviously the most effective their connection has been in this game against Wake Forest. But if he emerges, especially with Ali Jennings out, if he emerges as that like second consistent receiver outside Jalen Lane, um, outside of Bayshall Tootin, right out of the backfield, uh, Daquan Wright, like if he is the true number two receiver that emerges in this offense, that would be really significant because Virginia Tech hasn't really had that this year, right? I think they're hoping that it would be Jennings, then Lane, and then somebody else, Gosnell among them. But if he can really emerge and kind of build on this performance they had on Saturday, that would be pretty significant for a Virginia Tech offense the rest of the way. So Willie Byrne was the heir to Danny Cole, right? I texted a few people saying is that can Stephen Gosnell, Gosnell be the heir to Willie Byrne? Can he deliver? Can he be the paper boy? I don't know. Maybe. I texted my buddy. I texted my buddy, Mike Mead, about this. He's going to be listening to his podcast. We were texting on Saturday, and I said that uh, he was basically Kmart version of Danny Cole. <laughs> and then he said, don't put that on Danny Cole. And I said, okay, maybe like Willie Byrne then. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Rick, because he reminds me a lot of one of them. And it's not just because he's white. It's because he's always <laughs> open against his own. He seems to be although, always open against his own defense. Although if you look at Steven Gosnell's Twitter, he had a, a funny retweet uh, <laughs> that I shared with you guys. Yes, which did. I can't share that here on the podcast, but that he uh, did. folks folks should go find that. It's pretty hilarious. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the not so good stuff in this game, uh, Basial Tootin's fumble, that was frustrating, but. Um, again, if we hadn't hit our max limit of 20 replays, uh, we might have been able to get that one overturned. Yeah. Um, to me, the biggest issue, the two biggest issues in this game were three of 12 on third down and the red zone issues in the second half. I, both of these, in my opinion, d- directly relate to Virginia Tech's consistent struggle to run the football. They're not getting enough push up front they're putting themselves in too many third and medium third long situations and when you're in the red zone and the field shrinks you've got to be able to move the ball on the ground Virginia Tech has not been able to do that consistently um Pachel Tootin was bottled up in this game essentially from the start Malachi Thomas had a a few nice runs yeah um fourth quarter too like 
significant yeah. runs in the fourth quarter. Yep. Um, who knew that the best runner of the football in this game was Cole Nelson <laughs> on his on his fake punt run for eternity. But in all seriousness, the run game it, it continues to be an issue, and drones led the the team in rushing and excuse me led the team in rush attempts in this game. Uh, actually, also led the team in rushing. Yep. Um, I don't think that's a recipe for success long term in terms of in terms of sustainability. Virginia Tech needs to find a way to get Basial Tootin some more touches uh, in the run game and make those touches work. And if that means that Malachi Thomas is a guy that can run the football up the middle and maybe they get Tootin on the outside where he's shown the ability to break a couple things and make some guys miss, then so be it. But they've got to find a way to move the ball more consistently on the ground. Asking Kyron Drones to do all of this is not a long-term recipe for success. They've got to have some balance. I hope they find that balance at some point this year. I think it's more likely that they're going to have to portal some offensive linemen <laughs> the offseason. Uh, yeah. we, I mean, we could talk about what they're going to need to portal on the defensive side. We've kind of touched on that at length. But they're going to have to portal some offensive linemen because what Drones is doing and what this offense is doing right now, not to say the offense hasn't improved a little bit up front, but this is still not a great offensive line. And what Drones is doing on the ground and through the air is in spite of the offensive line, I would say, on most plays. Uh, they're going to have to get better up front in the offseason. They're going to have to find a way, like you mentioned, to consistently run the football because the stats don't look terrible, right? Like Virginia Tech, if you're including sacks, they average 3.9 yards per carry. Take the sacks out, they averaged almost 4.3 yards per rush in this game. But if you were watching this game, it was, it was real choppy, right? It was a run here, a run there. Malachi Thomas, I think, inflates the stats a little bit with a few good runs he had in the fourth quarter. But for a majority of this football game, it was Kyron Drones on a rollout outside the pocket, right? Kyron Drones on a quarter, you know, a couple of quarterback draws where he got into the second level of the defense, had a couple of nice runs. But it's been a struggle still to run the football, which I think is why, among a million other reasons, once Grant Wells is healthy, you have to continue to roll with Kyron Drones moving forward, obviously, right? But if you're yeah. looking at specifically in the run game, Drones covers up some stuff, right? He, he covers up some issues on the offensive line. He's an extra guy that you need to account for as a defense, you know, an extra weapon in the running game. That makes a difference, you know? Not to say Wells couldn't run, but Drones really can run, and he runs over people. It's a different running style, right? And he's covering up some issues that Virginia tech has on the offensive line. He's done a pretty good job of that, but Virginia tech's going to have to consistently find ways to move the ball on the ground outside of Kyron drones, which, which kind of aids us in our next point. I mentioned earlier that Virginia tech averaged over seven yards per play in this game, Ricky, pretty good, right? We'd agree. Pretty good. Yeah. Despite that, Virginia tech was three for 12 on third down. Yep. Not good. Right. Uh, I don't think so, Mike. <laughs> Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech this season, by the way, uh, now with their latest performance on third down, Virginia Tech is 30 for 97 
on third down this year. That's just under 31%. That's 123rd out of 130 teams nationally in the FBS. They are one of the worst teams in the country on third down. And I think a lot of that, Ricky, you mentioned, is because of the run game and the lack thereof. Short yardage run plays especially. Tech has really, really struggled. This year, they struggled in this game with them. It's been tough. They, they got to clean that up for sure. So I was just kind of giving pro football focus the business with the whole Benji Gosnell point, but let me, let me bring this up. So if you look at the guys who had the most run block plays, which are, you're going to be your offensive lineman, right? Right. Cade Moore, 53, seven in the run block, Parker Clements, 41, nine Clements was so bad. Guys. Xavier Chaplin, 61, four. Braylon Moore, 52-1. Bob Schick, 58. Daquan Wright, 44.5. Brody Meadows, 46-6. Hey, Rick, question for you. What Clements do in pass pro? Uh, 4.8. Out of 100. Uh, oddly enough, Michael, that is not the worst grade. Would you like to know what it is? Now I do. In the same category, pass blocking, Bob Schick, 4.2. Guys, we have an entire side of an offensive line that's averaging less than a 5 out of 100 protecting Kyron drones in this football game and pass pro. And I'm willing to bet that if I go and look at the season statistics, they will be marginally better. Portal, 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 portal portal in the offseason and, and coaching yes gotta of course. figure it out develop develop the young guys and portal some more talent in. To, so so let's mention the good right xavier chaplin 86 8 in pass blocking Most Braylon upside. Moore 83 4 in pass blocking caden moore at center 69 6 so they were much better on the left side and okay in the middle bob schick brody meadows parker clements on the right side not it I will say it does feel like Caden Moore is getting a little bit comfortable at center. I uh, still, I still wish that he wasn't playing center. I think it's, it, it's probably, horse, it's probably better for the team, but I think it's worse for him. And I would be, I'd be really excited if they could find a way to move him back to guard next year and find a center to fill that spot. I mean, he's trending, you know, he was trending in all conference direction at guard. So then move him to center and hope he does the same thing as one asking a lot of him. But two, also like he's a better guard. I'd rather have a different position. I'd rather have a good guard and a mediocre center than a bad guard and a mediocre center. (laughs) Like we're down a good we're down a good guard, right? I mean, Schick Schick isn't holding up at guard. Uh, Caden Moore would obviously be more than a adequate replacement at right guard um he's providing replacement level play at center this year but i mean so, they, they gotta they gotta figure out the offensive line in the offseason bob schick's overall grade per pff is 55 5 mm-hmm. he's actually been better in pass pro this year at 68 2 he had a really good start to the season in that regard, but his run blocking score is a 52 and a half. And um, let me uh, just to because I'm curious now, Parker Clements, 
overall 51-3, 60.2 in pass block, and 49.2 in run block. Like, if the PFF is matching your eyes, then your eyes are probably telling you the truth. Yeah. Right? And we've been saying from essentially the start that this offensive line is struggling mightily. And it really does help if you've got a mobile guy back there like drones, who's able to improvise a little bit, but it's, it's going to have serious effects on third down when drones is facing third and seven, third and eight, and also third and one third and two, when you don't feel comfortable running the football and the same thing again, goes back into the red zone. This is nothing against Ron Crook. But I mean, some of y'all listen. No, no. This statement, this statement coming up, this, this statement I'm about to make, nothing to do with Ron Crook, promise. Some of y'all owe Joe Rudolph an apology. That's all I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say, man. And, and that's uh, yeah. nothing against, and I don't mean that in any way against Crook, but like this line is still bad and you've changed coaches. So it's worse, I think, I, I, than last year. It's definitely it's not better. I don't know. I don't know if it's worse than last year, Rick. But the one thing I will say is that it's definitely worse than what I was anticipated coming into the year. Right. I thought the offensive line would be better than it is. This has been this has been rough this year. And it's I was concerned going coming into the year that Virginia Tech was going to have trouble from a depth standpoint up front. That was my concern. You know, you have a couple injuries up front. Like, who do knock we have? Wood, knock on who do wood. we have behind the starters? But the starters haven't been good either. So, it's wor- it's worse than I thought up front. Drones is covering up some stuff now. He's a starter. He's covering some stuff up. But th- this has not been good up front. Agreed. And when you get into defenses that are playing a bit better and better coach defenses that's really going to become a problem when you're trying to move the football and yeah. Um, drones can only drones, even at his best can only overcome so many of these issues. And you have to assume that at least once or twice for the remainder of the season, drones is going to take a step back, right? He's still in that developing process. He's going to have some mediocre games, uh, maybe even a couple bad games. So you have to kind of take that into account and expect that moving forward. So the the guys around him are really going to have to help him out, and this cannot be a one-man show. Five games left. Tech's going into a bye. So crazy that this there are only five games left. This season, I feel like, has gone by so damn fast. Yeah, five, five left. Right, so a little less than half the season to go. Tech's got Syracuse in a week and a half, Thursday night football, Blacksburg. Pretty significant game for Virginia Tech's bowl hopes, goes without saying, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, But we mentioned this earlier. Five games, everything's in front of you. Team's trending in a good direction. Tech's starting to end up in some bowl projections, Rick. And this is where, as a rebuilding program, we're going to start to learn a lot about 
especially, you know, bye week is when you start to read up some stuff, right? If you're players, you got an off week, got a few days off, getting healthy, feeling good about what just transpired the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Feel good about where the, where the team's trending and they should, right? They should feel good about how things have been going, right? But we're going to learn a lot about the maturity of this team when they welcome Syracuse to town in a week and a half off a of bye, not playing a lot of football here, right? In, in a 10, 11 day span, what's this going to look like? Can you refocus in quickly after a few days off and kind of hit the ground running again for this home stretch of the season against definitely some beatable opponents. There's no question about it. A lot of the teams left on the schedule Louisville, by the way, Louisville's a tough game. You got to go on the road. Toughest game left. They're not invincible. Like They just laid an egg at Pittsburgh. They're not invincible. You know, that's a game. I, Jack Plummer, not a great quarterback. If you pressure the quarterback like you did in this game against Wake Forest, you know, you can make some things happen on the road there. So that that's not just like a, that's not like a Florida State type game. Not like you can't go there and win. It's the toughest game left. But it's not like you can't go win there. We're going to learn a lot about the maturity of the roster and kind of just how far along this team is in the rebuild. I will say, though, Rick, the last three weeks has made me pretty encouraged about a couple things, right? The team's resiliency, number one. There has not been any quit. We've never talked once about this team quitting. We've never brought that up. The fact that I feel like this coaching staff is starting to to find some traction too, like the the in some of the in game stuff too, right? Like coming out of the third quarter into the fourth quarter, it seems simple, but Brent Pry just being like, "Yo, we gotta we gotta like put some more points on the board in the red zone. <laughs> like we can't just like get down and like have our drive stall out." And it seems simple just for a head coach to say that he should be acknowledging that right mid game. But the fact that, you know, tech went into the fourth quarter and tech's final three drives after kind of stalling out the entire third quarter for Tech's final three drives of the game, two field goals and a touchdown to put this thing away. Very encouraging. They're figuring out how to win. They're figuring out how to close teams out. That's really important. Something we hadn't really seen too much of in the first, Oh, say 13, 14, 15 games of this tenure. So there, there's some encouraging stuff going on here. Yeah, for sure. And Garrett Trader, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this when we do the Syracuse preview, who the Orange are also going to be coming off a bye. They're coming off three straight losses in a really grueling part of the schedule. But Garrett Trader may be the best quarterback left on Virginia Tech's schedule. He is mobile enough to cause all sorts of problems. Virginia Tech has already seen that firsthand inside Lane Stadium. So Tech's defense is going to have their hands full in a week and a half, but I, I definitely agree with you that there's some encouragement with this team and their resiliency and their ability to kind of rebound from a, a, another slow start, right? Virginia Tech had two three and outs right off the right off the bat um they miss a field goal uh on their first uh scoring attempt essentially 
So they go four drives without scoring, and they were able to rattle off 17 points on offense. And then at the towards the end of the game to get those three scoring drives, which were relatively methodical yeah, and took up a fair amount of time off the clock with each one. Certainly an encouraging, uh, an encouraging kind of tale of events because some of the issues that have plagued the Hokies this year didn't show up in this game. Right. Yeah. That they had another slow start, but um, and yeah, they had more issues on third down, but they got a lot of pressure on the quarterback. We saw some explosive plays. Stop the run. Lane. They stopped the run. Um, By and large, took care of the football. Yeah. And that's extremely encouraging for, for this team. And they're going to, you know, they're going to have to improve in some areas still, right? If they're going to, I think, even go three and two in this stretch. Uh, red zone, third down. Yeah. Red zone, third down. Keep stopping the run. Back end coverage. Yep. Uh, got to get a bit more out of Mansour to lane. Got to get a bit more out of him. I know he's moved around all season. Asking a lot of them. Safety. They are asking a lot of them, but Dorian Strong's been corner one so far this year. And as talented as Delane is, I would hope that he would be able to kind of turn it on here down the stretch. Because let's be honest, if Virginia Tech is able to get good play from their top two corners and they're healthy and they have Nasir Peoples back in the secondary and they're able to even replicate some of this pass rush that we saw against Wake Forest. Three and two. It, I mean, it's, it is not out of the realm of possibility by any means. So, yeah. Who would have thought that after that Marshall game, Virginia Tech would be two and one in the ACC. I yeah, I didn't know where I didn't know when the first win was going to come. And Virginia Tech's currently beating Clemson in the AC standings. They're half a game up. They're over NC State, who's one and two. Syracuse is zero and three in the ACC because they got screwed by the schedulers. <laughs> I mean, Clemson, UNC, Florida State is just absurd. It's essentially the three most talented teams in the conference, and unless you want to include Miami. but They're talented. They're... Miami's always talented, Mike. They're always talented. That's right. <laughs> got a question on my ACC pod is Miami on quit watch is it too too early to put them on quit watch our answer was it's it's never which, too early which so I want to give a shout out to you and Joey and and your brother-in-law Scott so I drove home after the game uh on Saturday I got home at like 2 10 a.m yeah and you guys went live at about 12 15 mm-hmm and that hour and a half, hour 45 that you guys did helped me stay awake. So shout out to you guys. We had some fun jokes in the live chat. Um, but live if you guys are, was you guys, it was, yeah. If you guys are listening, um, be sure to go follow basketball conference and, and go listen to their stuff. Joey and Mike do some good work over there, but 
you guys really helped the brother out, man. I was struggling, man. I appreciate that. There were definitely some good jokes in the chat. Yes. To be had. There always some are. Which, some of which came from yours truly. Yes. Uh, I was on a roll. <laughs> you <Sorry>. were. <laughs> uh, Ricky mentioned that Phil Dracovic uh, after uh, Pitt, Pitt, <laughs> after Pitt uh, know, found a way to win, he mentioned that Phil Dracovic is 1-0 as a backup tight end, which I thought was hysterical because <laughs> the whole bit about Dracovic running pass routes in practice as a tight end. Um, yeah, that was that was solid. Up next, Brandon yep. Armstrong. Up next, Brandon Armstrong, because <laughs> Virginia Tech ruining lives. Uh, <laughs> Mitch Griffiths is on the way. Mitch Griffiths, <laughs> Brandon Armstrong. Yeah. Oh, what oh, a mess! Maybe they'll maybe they'll do it to Tony Musket at the end of the year. Maybe they'll go back to Calandria. Yeah, yeah, Calandria can play in the ball game. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> guess he won't be doing that <laughs> oh man uh, uh now, right. so um let's pick on uva for a little bit tony elliott staying going what's up i mean they're probably going thinking? they're probably going one in eleven they're, uh, what's, what's the remainder of their schedule? Let me well, they play Carolina this weekend. They're about a almost a get full score dog. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna get destroyed. Oh, uh, another game on the exceptional CW. Help George, somebody Georgia, Carolina, Miami, Georgia Tech, Louisville, and Duke, and then finishing up against Tech. I mean, Tech's the most winnable game remaining. Well. <laughs> Maybe Georgia Tech. Maybe Georgia Tech. Maybe Georgia Tech. Yeah, one and eleven really might happen. One and eleven is if, very much on the table. If you go one and eleven at a Power Five school, and the win is against an FCS team, I don't know how you come back from that, Mike. He's out, man. I think he's out, and I he built up. Like, we can't just dismiss the tragedy at the end of last year, right? We can't dismiss it because it is going to be – it's unfortunate that it's going to – that this even has to be talked about, but it's going to be a part of the conversation in regard to Elliot and how tough it is, uh, you know, a tough position to be in that you don't really ever envision yourself being in as a head coach. Yeah. And to try to come back from that with a lot of the same players is just really, really tough. But I mean, at the same time, you can't go one in eleven, especially yeah. in like a realignment era that we're in. That's like kind of another part of it too. Like, where does UVA fit in conference realignment if ACC teams start getting poached? Where do they stand? Where are they at? Yeah, and if you're a UVA fan, you're pretty disappointed because they've had some tight, tough losses. Uh, obviously, the JMU loss week two, they lose by one. Mm -hmm. They lose to NC State by three, and now what, given what we've seen from NC State, that's got to be frustrating. They lose to Boston College by three. So three losses by seven points. Then you, you, know, you combine the blowouts to Maryland and Tennessee. 
Um, but your only win coming up against Wayman Mary, and then you've got the powerhouse that North Carolina is looking like right now, especially uh, in areas that we're not used to them being really good at. Yeah. Like running the football and playing good defense. And I mean, who knows what kind of mindset Miami's going to be in at the end of October, right? Like who knows what that's going to look like, but yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen there in, in, um, in Whoville. Mike London wouldn't be going wide 11 this year. Oof. Big oof. Just saying. (laughs) Just saying. Uh, All right, Rick. That's all I got. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Um, I guess I I, I can't give a well, a couple shout outs. One, Tom Booth, who does video for the football program, uh, has worked there for over 20 years, is retiring. Shout out to Tom. Tom is the uh, husband of the ever popular Virginia Tech professor, Durley Aguilar, who was one of my favorite professors when I was a student. So shout out, Tom. Uh, He's been there a long time. He's done some excellent work under multiple coaching regimes, obviously, and has always been a favorite around Merriman Athletic Center. And also shout out to the Hokies for uh, doing a moment of silence before the game, recognizing uh, the tragedy in Israel. Uh, I thought that was very, very classy and enjoyed that. So another good atmosphere uh, until it rained around halftime mm-hmm. when the stadium became half empty, which I thought was kind of disappointing. But a very good pregame atmosphere as usual, another sellout. I'd be shocked if the Thursday nighter isn't sold out, Mike. I'd and be very shocked. At this point, I think they're going to sell out every home game, which is – Really good for a team that's coming off of a three-win season and looked left for dead just three weeks ago. A lot of recruits were in town for homecoming weekend, and to to win a game like that looked real good doing it, to have that kind of atmosphere when you're in the middle of a rebuild is positive is, for so many watch things. A, if you watch a UNC game, which, by the way, folks, they're a top-10 team right now. They're really good. You go watch UNC. That's a really good football team, right? They're pretty complete. Their fans don't give two shits. Yep. That place is no more than three-quarter full for any game that they play. It's a basketball school. Always will be. And I am... I am actually pretty proud that at least my alma mater, even though we've been pretty bad on the football field for the last year and a half, for the most part, uh, fans are showing up, man. So credit to them. You get the, the fan base has been very, very good, very supportive, sticking it out, showing up early. Students are packing the North, the North stands, you know, an hour before kickoff. Um, and a lot of the folks in the in the West Stands stayed through the rain. So shout out to them. Tech's always had a good fan base, but I feel like the student section in particular in this pry era, it doesn't really matter what time the game is, noon game, 3.30, whatever. Yeah. Um, the, the students have showed up. They've been there like an hour before kickoff. And it's been a really, really cool atmosphere. It's going to be... You know, Pry gets this thing right. Dwight mentioned this. Dwight Vick mentioned this on the podcast. He was on with us last week. If Pry gets this thing right, 
and Tech starts playing a lot of meaningful football again, uh, that that stadium is going to be crazy. Yep. So, just like it was in the first two years of Justin Fuente. Sorry, I had to throw that. Mm. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Well, look, we'll try to record another podcast this week off the buy. There's no reason not to. We have sponsors, so we need yeah. to. Yeah, and we'll also be we've, we've kind of thrown some stuff around behind the scenes that Mike and I and Andrew are interested in learning more about. Which, uh, if we can nail that down, we'll certainly bring that to you. Uh, but yeah, I think there's all sorts of directions we could go for the bye week. We obviously could do kind of a conference review so far because there's been a lot of moving and shaking within the ACC so far this year. And maybe a broader holistic look at the schedule and maybe kind of a broader look at the at the national landscape. I mean, huge win for Washington this weekend. Um, USC just got spanked. USC um, is just a totally exposed. unserious football. They're just an unserious football program with that defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch. They're unserious, so <laughs> can't take them seriously. You can take them serious on offense, but even then, their offensive line looked pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can take them seriously on offense until they play a real defense, and until uh, they lose Caleb Williams this offseason. They they play. They still play Oregon. Uh, they have Washington Oof. on the schedule still. They have Oregon Ooh. State. They have Utah this week. This is, this has potential. I threw this out there. If Caleb Williams isn't on the roster, I'm not sure that team makes a bowl game. I stand by it. Especially with how bad they've been on defense. Unserious. Could never take them seriously as a contender. Couldn't do it. Caleb Williams is, I mean, he did not have his best game at Notre Dame, right? Through three picks, looked really bad. Caleb Williams is an unbelievable football player. Right. So I, I, I'm going to separate a bad performance from that statement. He won the Heisman last year for a reason. He's electric. He's outstanding. Yeah. Uh, I think he'll make a great pro, but they got nothing without him. But that's still very much like Lincoln Riley's got to build that thing up. Penix, your Heisman favorite right now. Yeah. I think he's got to be. He's a freaking stud dude. And Bo Nix played, Bo Nix played real well in that yeah. game too. And just, he put them in great position, some weird game management stuff uh, <laughs> with Lanning, which, I mean, Lanning's just an aggressive coach. Some weird game management stuff, like the going for it before halftime. You could have taken the points there. You didn't. He went for it late, which I kind of, by midfield, which I kind of understood because you're basically struggling to stop. Washington. Struggling to stop. Yeah, struggling to stop Washington a little bit. Washington had a little bit of momentum offensively. Uh, they were struggling in the third quarter, kind of moving the ball, but they started to move it a bit better there in the fourth. And your options are you pick up a first down on the road, right? You pick up a first down, you, you ice the game, take a few knees, the game's over. You don't pick it up. Okay, well, Michael Penix gets the ball at the 45-yard line, right? And that's tough, but you don't want to give the ball back to Penix anyway. You're trusting your offense with Bo Nix, a you know, fifth-year senior, to to make a play. I was okay with that call, but high risk, high reward, right? And then Penix killed them, and pe- they scored too quickly. Bo Nix got them back and got the ball back. They drove down the field, and they were in position to, to kick a game-tying field goal anyway. So I was okay with that 
with that decision by Lanning. But yeah, that was a great game. I hope we see a rematch of that in the Pac-12 title game. There's a lot of tough teams left or tough teams left on both schedules. Uh, but I think... I'm always going to pull for Utah in the Pac-12. I just, I, I yeah. really respect that program. Yeah. I would love to see, and Utah and Washington will play later uh, in this season, but I would love to see like a Utah-Washington title game or something like that. Yeah, I think that's Actually, you know there. what? Screw it. Give me like Oregon State and I don't know. Can Washington State still get in? Washington State got pants by Arizona this weekend, <laughs> so probably not. Let's do let's get weird, man. Especially for Oregon State being left out of this whole shindig. Like, let's see the beeves. I mean, let's Oregon State's good, man. Yeah, they are. Beat UCLA. They, they got a good team. Uh, thanks to Main Street Pharmacy for their support of the podcast. Thanks to Homefield Apparel. Thanks to Vivid Seats. We're appreciative of all of you for supporting the podcast. We're appreciative of all of you listening. As Mike mentioned early on, please rate, review, subscribe. This has been a very big season for us as a podcast, and we couldn't do it without y'all. So follow the boys on Twitter. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hoagie Hangover. And we'll be back soon with another podcast, Mike. Andrew will hopefully be back from moving. Uh, but until then, go Hookies. Mm-hmm.